Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're talking about the 1985 campy whodunit Clue, the very first movie ever to be based on a board game. And still remains the only true movie ever based on a board game, because all the rest don't count. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll get get there. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) Jackie's harsh today. Right from the beginning, I'm like, it all else sucks. (laughs) Clue is the only thing that matters. But you know what? That's just how I feel. No filter. Great. Awesome. You don't have to have a filter. Except maybe for language, because we do try and keep our language PG. We do. We do. (laughs) We do a good job of that as well. I I think so. I think the Mm -hmm. only time we've ever slipped, I cut it out or bleeped it. I don't remember. But we've done, (laughs) you know, a lot of episodes over the past two years. So Yes, a lot of episodes. And a lot of episodes that might have even warranted some color. And we were very good. About keeping the color within range. You know, it's kind of a a fun challenge sometimes to not not be the bluntest that you can possibly be. It is a challenge, which is, I think, as you get older, why the filter comes off, because there's just less (laughs) energy to be concerned about it. But the problem is, if you haven't developed a good character that goes along with that age and maturity then the filter falling off is a really ugly thing. That's right. But if you've developed a really good character, then the filter falling off is kind of beautiful, in my opinion. That I agree. I agree. Just your more authentic self. You have the, yeah. the courage and, and joy and self-confidence to be able to do that. And yeah, I'm glad exactly. you and I are kind of both there because not everybody makes it there. No, not everybody does. <laughs> nope. But let's talk about who's in Clue. Yes, let's do. Because it's so fun. So Tim Curry is Wadsworth, the butler. He's, of course, famous for Rocky Horror from 1975, which is actually how he ended up with enough clout to be in this movie. Um, And I know that you really, really loved him in 1990s two-part TV miniseries of It!, Yes, he yeah. is the only, only it. He is the only Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. That, he's the, the, the one all others have to live up to, and as of yet, no one has. Yeah, I don't, I get it. The new movies are their own thing, and, and I don't discredit the performance of Pennywise, uh, because I think he was, did what he was supposed to do and did it well. However, I, I think that uh, Tim Curry's Pennywise was a much more scary because it was so casual and calm Uh and terrifying. And there's something just deeply more disturbing. Oh, Um, yes. But also way more entertaining. So (laughs) on all fronts. (laughs) That's super fair. He's done a ton of voiceover work too. So, so much voiceover work in video games and so much animated shows from children's shows to adult animated series. It's just amazing. And of course, lots of guest appearances. You've seen him, even if oh, you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. He was on there. Yeah, he's done yep. a lot of cool cameos. And Then we have Martin Mull as Colonel Mustard. He is probably less known for being less known. He's not less known. Most known. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip or (laughs) maybe a Freudian slip when you hear what the, what he's probably most known for um, is Leon Carp on Roseanne. Yeah. No, it's a great role. It's a great role. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great role. I I not was never my favorite television show, even when it was on originally, Uh, but yeah, but the Connors are, are you watching the Connors? No, is it good? It's great. Really? It's great. I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound harsh, but it's everything that Roseanne had the potential to be. Mm. It's like Roseanne, but better. 
because it still is that family. It's still the blue collar. It's still the dealing with real issues and they're really smart also. Um, but there's just this, I don't know, this huh. cadence of it. And there's this uh, tone that is just great. Way funny. Maybe some addition by subtraction there. A little bit. <laughs> He was also Willard Craft in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which was like a very large role on that show, which I think I was a little too old to really see that show. And my kids weren't yet born, so we didn't watch it. I kind of fell in that like, yeah. So like, if you're a little bit younger than me or a little bit older than me, you're probably really familiar with it. But Mm -hmm. and then... I think the place you would probably recognize him from the most, even though he was only on a single episode, Golden Girls. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was the hippie shut-in that befriends Dorothy. That was such a good episode. (laughs) It was a really good episode. It was called Snap Out of It in 1990. And I was like, yes, he was totally in that. He was so good in that one. I know. He was like a recluse. Yeah, he was like agoraphobic. Left. Yeah. Right. He was agoraphobic and he was reclusive and he never left and he hadn't left since, you know, like fuzzy vests, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my favorite line, one of my favorite lines ever is in that episode when Dorothy has is like walking in and he's like, what are you? You know, the food police? And she's like, yes, Sergeant Spornak, food police, <laughs> you know? But then Sophia walks in and and she's all trying to be all nice, but he freaks out on her. And so Sophia backs up and very calmly looks at Dorothy and goes, so uh, who's the macadamia? (laughs) And it's just this beautiful de-escalation moment. (laughs) Uh That's so funny. And what a fun way to call somebody. A nut. Eccentric. Yeah. (laughs) A macadamia. Uh, A macadamia. You're a nut. You're a nut. Nut house. Very funny. Then we have Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White. She was Trixie in 1973's Paper Moon, Lily Von Strupp in Blazing Saddles. Um, and a, she had a short-lived series that she starred in called Oh Madeline in 1983 and 84. And she passed away in 1999 at the age of 57. So she was fairly young when she passed away. We have... Leslie Ann Warren as Miss Scarlet. She was Norma in Victor Victoria. And a TV movie, this is where she looked most familiar to me, called Willing to Kill, the Texas Cheerleader Story. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do you remember that? I had not remembered that. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I remember that whole story because... You know, I live in South Texas and I have did in the early 90s. And I very clearly remember the whole, the whole mess of that. So it was, I remember watching that particular made for television movie. And then she's been working regularly, even up to now, despite the fact that she's in her 70s, she's still working regularly. And I think that's great. I think it's wonderful that she's found roles that are, yeah, you know, working for her. Super cool. Mm-hmm. And then we have Christopher Lloyd as Professor Plum, which, of course, most people probably know him as Dr. Brown, Doc, in Back to the Future. But he's done tons and tons of voice acting, lots of small and recognizable parts in other shows. And he had a very large part in a show that I didn't really watch because it was a little before my time. From 1978 to 1983, he was Reverend Jim Ignatowski on Taxi. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, Taxi is one of those you should definitely Hulu it. At some yeah. point, you know what yeah. I mean? It's worth going back to. It was one of those my parents didn't really care for it, so we didn't watch it. But everything I've heard about it and the little bits I vaguely remember seeing in syndication as a kid, I was like, ooh, that looks interesting. So 
always pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched a decent amount. I got kind of in a phase with it for a while because it mm-hmm. was like on Nick at Night or whatever, you know, and kind of got mm-hmm. into a phase with it. But it'd probably be fun to revisit it. Mm-hmm. Then there's Michael McKean, who plays Mr. Green. Um, his biggest role was Lenny on Laverne and Shirley from 1976 to 1983. He's had tons and tons of other parts, lots and lots of stuff. But one of my favorite things that he's been in was he was mentally ill lawyer Chuck McGill in Better Call Saul. It's amazing to see him so young in this movie, uh-huh. you know, and then to think about Better Call Saul and how uh-huh. he was. But he played that role so well. He was so good. He had so many dimensions to that character that in Better Call Saul that he played. Chuck McGill was, you know, sympathetic in his illness and competent at his job and completely horrifically mean to his brother. And... It was so such a dichotomy of characters that he played within this one person. It felt yeah. like a really, really felt like a person, a well-rounded character that felt human, which yeah. was so great. Then we have Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock. She's in another cult favorite um, as Tess in Murder by Death from 1976, which anytime I say clue, my husband says, oh, we should watch that with the kids. Oh, we should watch Murder by Death, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the connection. I don't know that he really makes it for himself. That's <laughs> I think funny. That's, he sees, he realizes she's in it and doesn't make the connection. And that's why he also wants to watch Murder by Death. <laughs> that's pretty hysterical. <laughs> she passed away in 2013 at the age of 80. Then we have Colleen Camp as Yvette, and she's worked consistently since the early 1970s and did some really big things, mostly in the 90s. She was in Sliver, Wayne's World, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. So three huge 90s movies. And then the last person that I'm going to mention is the singing telegram girl. Yeah? Yeah, Jane Wydlin who's the rhythm guitarist for the Go-Go's. So cool. It's so cool. <laughs> so cool. And I mean, she was in the movie for like, a but, a, but a moment. <laughs> it's pretty quick. <laughs> but a delightful moment. All right. Are we ready to recap this? Yeah, let's recap this. All right. It's a dark and stormy night for a dinner party at Hill House in New England, 1954. We briefly meet Wadsworth the butler, Yvette the stereotypical French maid, and Mrs. Ho the chef, who's sharpening her knives. Colonel Mustard arrives, and we learn that the guests will all be using pseudonyms for the evening. His name is not really Mustard, but they're all going to be using colors as their names. So then we have Mrs. White, Mrs. Peacock, followed quickly by Mr. Green, Then Miss Scarlet has car trouble and ends up getting a ride with Professor Plum. So they arrive together and they're all there to meet Mr. Body, Mr. Body, which is so funny. It just, I'm like, oh, yeah, his name's Mr. Body. (laughs) (laughs) And he sent them all letters inviting them to this dinner party. So they've gathered in this study for drinks and then they head off to dinner there's assigned seats which seems a little weird when there's so few guests but whatever and so all six guests sit down but there's a seventh chair and that's for mr body who has yet to appear they chat kind of nervously and then they realize they all have connections to washington dc this is something they all have in common Mr. Body finally arrives. He refuses dinner. And Mrs. Peacock demands to know what's going on. And they learn that they're all about to be relieved of a long-standing financial obligation. Except for Mr. Body. His letter said something different. Yes. And they all thought he was the host. Yes. Because yeah. they sat, he sat him at the host seat. seat. Yes, at the head of the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they learn 
what they all have in common, blackmail. And the person that they are paying is a mystery. They don't know who's blackmailing them, but their secrets are such that they don't want them to come out and they're willing to pay an anonymous person. So we learned their secrets. Plum had inappropriate relations with a patient and lost his medical license as a psychologist, psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Yeah, if he's a doctor, he's a psychiatrist. Yeah. They just said medical license. They didn't specify what kind of doctor he was, but yeah, they kind of do. They kind of do. Yeah, they kind of. He's a specialist in psychology. Peacock takes bribes to get her senator husband to vote in particular ways. Scarlet runs a brothel in Washington, D.C. Colonel Mustard uses Scarlet's business services of her brothel. And that could jeopardize his job at the Pentagon. Mrs. White, her husband died under suspicious circumstances, as did her first husband, who was an illusionist who failed to reappear because he was bad at his job. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Green works for the State Department and... His job would be in jeopardy if it came to light that he was a homosexual. And Mr. Body is their blackmailer. He is the he is what they all have in common. Other than being DC types, he is the one blackmailing them. Wadsworth tells us that the police will be there in 45 minutes. He's already called them and arranged this with them. And incidentally, that's about how long is left in the movie when he says this, which I thought was... Uh, fun and good editing. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. Um, and then they can all turn body in and they'll be free. Body says he has evidence against each of them in the hall and goes and gets a briefcase and brings in a box for each of them. And inside their boxes are Scarlet gets a candlestick, White gets the rope, Green gets a lead pipe, Mustard gets a wrench. Plum gets a revolver, and Peacock gets a knife. The the weapons from the game. And there we go. And they look very much like the weapons that that come with the game. Yes, yes. Except for the fact that the rope is actually rope instead of a plastic cutout. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Body says that the only way they're going to get out of there is if they kill Wadsworth. Because Wadworth said they couldn't leave except over his dead body. And so Body turns out the light purportedly so that no one can see who does the actual killing. And then they can all just leave. And they'll all be fine and he'll quit blackmailing them. It'll be it'll be good. It'll be he yeah. In the dark, we hear a thud, a gasp, a gunshot, breaking glass, and a scream. The lights get turned back on, and Body is on the floor, apparently dead, but they can't tell what caused the death. Yvette is screaming in another room. She was listening to the next room because Wadsworth was recording the conversation. (laughs) She's screaming because she's afraid, because I'm locked up with a murderer. And they're like, well, who is it? Well, we are all looking at him or her. (laughs) It was just so silly and ridiculous. Everything is so cheesy and campy, but so well played. Yes. It's really funny. It's really, really funny. So Wadsworth claims that he too was blackmailed by body and that Wadsworth's wife committed suicide because of it. They want to know what could she have done that was so bad. Body thought that they were all un-American. Body's wife was friendly with socialists, and they all gasp. <gasps> socialists. Body threatened to give her name to the House Un-American Activities Committee unless she named all of her friends, and she refused to do this. So both she and Wadsworth ended up being Body's slaves, basically, working in the house. Wadsworth wanted to avenge his wife and set all of the guests free. Seems very altruistic. They all claim innocence of the murder and then realize there's one more person in the house. The chef. 
The so chef. They all, they all run off to the kitchen. But they find her stabbed and in the refrigerator. It's now a double murder. Oh, no. <laughs> Scarlet reaches for the knife, I guess, to like pull it out to try and save the chef. I don't know why she's reaching for it. But Mustard tells her, don't touch it. It's evidence. As he sticks his paws all over it. <laughs> Which it was, I had to rewind it and watch it again to make sure that he was actually touching the knife so much. Oh, yeah. No, he's a weirdo. He's it's, the dumb one, and it's very funny. <laughs> yes. So Wadworth suggests that they move the chef's body into the study where Body's body is, because he is, after all, the butler and wants to keep the kitchen tidy. <laughs> so there's this whole comedic dragging this poor chef to the other room, and then they drop her when they realize... Body's body is missing. Yes, Body's body is not there. No. So Peacock excuses herself to go to the restroom, and she finds a now bloody body body in the bathroom. Though I don't really understand this, because that bathroom didn't look particularly small. But when she opened the door, he, like, fell onto her. Yeah. Like he was standing and leaning against the door. Yeah. Like it was an airplane bathroom. Right, like, it was, like, straight up and vertical, and then he just fell forward. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was really funny. It was it was funny. It was ridiculous. But I think that's kind of how the whole movie is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, the, all the other guests think she's being attacked, but he's re- just really dead now. He wasn't really dead before. Now he's really dead. And then Wadsworth explains the game of Clue to us. They're trying to figure out who killed Body. Where and with what? They lock up all the weapons in a cabinet and they're going to throw away the key out the front door so nobody can get it. But when they open the door to throw the key out, there's a man there, a motorist, and he's had car trouble and he needs to use the telephone. So they lock him in the lounge with the (laughs) telephone. Mustard checks the study before they head to the library for drinks. They've locked the motorist in the lounge. They're going to go have drinks to calm their nerves. And Mustard looks in the study, and somebody asks him, everything all right? He said, yep, two corpses. Everything's fine. (laughs) Which I just, one of my favorite lines of the whole movie. (laughs) Yep, two corpses. Everything's fine. No more missing bodies. No more missing bodies. So they decide that they have to search the house to make sure that no one else is there. They draw matchsticks to pair up, and they all get paired up coincidentally with the person that they happen to like the least. Hijinks ensue, secret passages are found, the motorist is on the phone and reveals that one of the guests was his old boss. But before we can find out where, he gets murdered with a wrench by a gloved hand. A police officer finds the motorist's car and comes to the house to see if anybody has come up to potentially use the telephone. And so they show him to, I think, the phone in the library. And just as he's about to pick it up and make a phone call, the phone rings. So the police officer answers it, and it's a call from J. Edgar Hoover. What? Head of the FBI. <laughs> Head of the FBI. Wait, what? So that, that kind of makes the police officer sort of suspicious, and he wants to see the other room. So Scarlet and Plum make it look like the now-deceased motorist has just passed out drunk, and Green, White, and Peacock make... The other two bodies look like they're having some kind of orgy sex party. It's so revolting. ridiculous. It's <laughs> revolting and ridiculous and so funny. It's so A gloved hand turns out the lights and Yvette the maid slips away. And just as she slips into somewhere, she says, it's you. And they strangle her with the rope. The police officer is on the phone in the dark telling somebody that he's off duty, but he thinks that he's in danger. And then he's struck with the lead pipe. 
So he's dead. The doorbell rings, and there's the singing telegram girl, a.k.a. rhythm guitarist for the Go-Go's. And someone shoots her. Wadsworth flips the lights back on, and they realize there have now been six murders at the house that evening. Talk about a serial killer who's fast. Fast and efficient. Mm-hmm. And then we get three different endings. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> With, I love it so much. Well, I love it too. And I'm not going to go through all three different endings because it's only an hour and a half of your life. And you should go and watch it. But there are some amazing performances by Tim Curry in particular. Yes, this is all Tim Curry, which is, must be why it's my favorite part of the movie. Besides right. the hysterical notion of like showing you an ending and then going to like the the card that says, or uh-huh. it could have happened like this. That's right. <laughs> it might have so happened funny. that way, but allow us to suggest another way. Well, another way it could have. And because see, in the game of Clue, you have to make an accusation. Yes. And these are the accusations. Exactly. And I just adore it. And it's so funny. Which is why this movie is the only movie ever really made from a game. Mm Mm-hmm. Fair. (laughs) Fair. Of all the litany of possible murders, we get a declaration just like in the the board. Mm -hmm. So you make an accusation and your, your opponents have a chance to prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. Then you make a declaration at the end, and they declare Green did it in the hall with the revolver. <laughs> There's a really fun credit sequence with all of the actors on Clue game cards, which was really, really fun. This movie bombed in the box office. It was panned by critics. And it did not start to gain popularity until the early 90s when it started showing on cable. They needed something cheap to fill Saturday afternoon time slots, which is Mm -hmm. how I saw this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Roger Ebert, bless his heart. Normally we agree, but he did not like this movie. You know, I can see how it's not up his alley because this is a cult favorite kind of movie. It it really is. Though he does have some fair points. He said on December 12th, 1985, Clue is a comedy whodunit that is being distributed with three different endings, which is sort of silly since it doesn't make the slight of bit of difference who did it. And that makes the movie a lot like the board game, which inspired it, where it didn't make any difference either since you could always play another game. (laughs) <laughs> Which is true, but I also think that's kind of the beauty. The point of it. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> when, yes, that's exactly yeah. right. He doesn't like exactly what makes the movie intelligent. Which he has every right not to like. Well, well yes. But I think that it plays better when you have all three endings running back to back. Which is not how it was played in the movie theaters. Really? No. Wait, what? I know. What you love about it? Yeah. Was not how it played in movie theaters. (gasps) It's how it should have played in movie theaters. Yeah. But it is not how it was played in movie theaters. So each theater got an A, B, or C ending. So Really? Yes. Oh, well, now that's kind of funny. It is, but he argued fairly... That the early part of the movie isn't quite good enough to make you Jones for those other two endings. Like if it had just been spectacular, if it had been like a really great movie instead of a really fun campy movie, people might have flocked to find the other two endings. Maybe so, but I think it's funny. I, I, I mean, every little part is funny. From the second Wadsworth walks up to the door and, like, throws the ribs out to the dogs. I mean, it's it's funny. But, again, it's that cult classic kind of funny. Like, right. Th- there's something particular. It's that, like, uh, Midnight and Funyuns and Coke 
with Twizzlers as straws kind of funny. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta yes. be in a mood. Exactly. Well, and he got to see all three endings. So he was like, I would love to tell you which ending to see. And he said, I want to tell you A is the most fun, but Paramount called him and told him they weren't sure which ending was which. Oh, my gosh. So he couldn't even say, like, well, you know, you should really go see ending C. Right. He'd have to spoil because, it. Yeah. That's he, funny. Yeah. They, but they weren't sure. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. I thought it was silly. He had fair points. It's a... It's definitely better this way. It's better with all three endings. Yeah, it, it is really better. Is. Yeah. It has aged well in this wonderfully campy way. Uh, Carrie Anderson wrote an article for the Michigan Daily. <laughs> she quotes... One of my other favorite lines from this movie, which is Miss Scarlet and Professor Plum drive up to the mysterious mansion that serves as the setting. As their car stops near the gate after a dramatic flash of lightning, Scarlet asks, why has the car stopped? It's frightened, <laughs> whispers <laughs> Professor Plum. And it's just, she says, jokes like these demonstrate that Clue is not only a whodunit mystery, but a film that is eccentric, cheesy, and overall a delightful experience. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of aging well... Clue has gotten the Rocky Horror Picture Show treatment by a group in Los Angeles called Sins of the Flesh. And they do a regular Rocky Horror midnight show where they have, you know, the shadow cast doing the whole thing. And then a few times a year, they'll do something else. And because of the Tim Curry connection, they started doing Clue. How fun. And people loved it. They loved it so, so much that uh, they've done it every year since. How awesome. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. It was, I think, really, really cool. All right. So I know it's a ridiculous movie. And how can (laughs) any of it be true? But I'm going to tell you what's true and what's not after this quick break. Normally, we would have a break here promoting another podcast, but in light of the unrest in the U.S. and much of the world, we're going to forego that this week. Instead, I'd like to encourage you to watch Just Mercy, a powerful true story of justice that needed public support in order to become a reality. This 2019 movie is currently streaming free on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Prime Video, and YouTube because of its salience to current events. There is a video by Prince of the song Baltimore that was released by his estate that dealt with a very similar situation and that is also well worth a watch. To our listeners, our friends who are people of color, we cannot fully understand, but we can empathize. We are committed to pushing back against racism and injustice anywhere we see it. To our white friends, We ask that you listen to the experience of people of color and go to the places they are already speaking. Their job at this time is not to educate you. Thank you for listening. And remember to be safe, be kind, and wash your hands. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. And now we have, is it true? So Professor Plum admits to working for the United Nations Organization UNO, which is an old way to refer to the UN. So that's correct. He says he specifically works for the World Health Organization, which is indeed a part of the UN as part of their family planning branch. Oh, so close. (laughs) So close to getting it right. There isn't a family planning branch of the WHO No, It's called the United Nations Population Fund, which wasn't even a thing in 1954 when this was supposed to take place. Oh, that's funny. It wasn't established until 1969. Well, so it's an anachronism, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It exists. It just didn't quite exist yet. Yet. Yeah. 
But the uh, UNFPA, as it's called, uses a human rights-based approach, and they have three transformative goals, which I can totally get behind. They're goals, which I think are probably unachievable, but are good to shoot for. Zero preventable maternal death. Mm. Zero gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. Zero unmet needs for family planning. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. It's not not realistic that they'll actually get there, but I think as goals. Yeah. Yes, please. A body threatened to out Wadsworth's wife to the House Un-American Activities Committee. I've never heard of this. What is this? It's a Cold War era thing that actually was real. It was Established in 1938, the height of McCarthyism, to investigate allegations of communist activity in the U.S. This is from history.com. And that they had really controversial tactics, the House Un-American Activities Committee. They really contributed to the fear and distrust and the repression that existed during all of this hysteria that was happening in the 1950s. When they finally realized how it was being abused, they kind of stopped their activities so much, and it was officially discontinued in 1975. So it was a thing. It was a thing. And it was a thing a lot longer than you might think it was a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and their activities really started winding down in the late 1960s. And it wasn't, it was just unofficially, or no, officially disbanded. It was unofficially disbanded in the late 60s, officially Mm -hmm. disbanded in 1975. So Mustard was working on a fusion bomb. But, but, well, he didn't seem smart enough to be working on a Uh, fusion bomb. No, he did not. (laughs) But the Manhattan Project was a thing that theoretically he could have been a part of if he'd been smarter. So that was true. Well, they said fusion bomb. Yes. Yes. Hydro, hydro, uh, no, thermonuclear fusion. And the fission bomb was what the Manhattan Project ultimately produced. Right. But the fusion bomb was what they were kind of started to produce. Yeah. So it changed. It once- did change. It starts with fusion. Because you have to bind, it, you bind them together so you can pull them apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, so, so there is fusion involved, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah. But we not, we still haven't really achieved true fusion. No, that's probably better. I don't know unless it's crystallic fusion that'll allow us mm-hmm. travel. You know, the universe exactly like in, like in Toy Story. But- <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny because of all the sci-fi movies that could. <laughs> Talk about it. You pop out with Toy Story. Uh-huh. Crystallic <laughs> creation in Toy Story. Yeah. So funny. I love it. Yeah, because yeah, well, I love that line so much because it was so, like, grown up and smart in this kid's yeah. movie that, you know, are you still using fossil fuels or have you discovered crystallic fusion yet? Like, that's awesome. I may have seen that movie a few times. A few times. Just a few. <laughs> Singing telegrams were at the height of their popularity in the mid-1950s. Western Union was tired of being the bearer of bad news. (laughs) Well, understandably so. Yes. In 1933, they started offering musical telegram services, singing telegrams. And they just, they were over it. They were over being the bearers of the bad news because all anybody ever did was say somebody was born, somebody died, somebody sick Mm -hmm. more than 33% of the time, because sometimes they just send a letter. If it was, if everything was okay with the baby that was born, they just, they just send a letter. They wouldn't spend money on a telegram. Can you imagine if we still had to do that? Oh my gosh. To send a telegram. Wow. Yeah. With the stop and, so they knew where the next line was. And- yeah, like the whole, I would screw up the formatting 
For sure. Oh, but the oh. whole idea of having to go someplace and then pay this money to basically send a text message. Yes, exactly. It's amazing. Yes. Well, and in the 1960s, there was a reduced use of telegrams in general because people started having telephones in their home. Yeah, and they could just call. Yeah, which is exactly. amazing. Exactly. And Western Union officially suspended its singing telegram service in 1974. But of course, you can still hire companies to come and do that for you as a novelty. Yes. Yes. I don't know who was getting the singing telegram. No, we really don't know. No. I mean, she was there because she was the person that Professor Plum had an inappropriate relationship with. So I'm guessing that it was sent for him Waller, by Wadsworth. I mean, Wadsworth had to request it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the uh, ending number, ending number C? No. It's not number C. C is the number. <laughs> C is a letter. Like, but that's true. And in fact, I was thinking, I don't know what that word is. A number C? A number C, number C. And I'm like searching my inner vocabulary in thesaurus.com going, uh, number no. C, number C. No, no, no. No, that's me making We're a terrible <laughs> mistake. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible mistake. It's just a regular mistake. <laughs> that's true. I should look at, you know, the, the scope of yeah. mistakes. <laughs> So you're talking about ending letter C. Yes, the third ending. The third ending. The last one. Scarlet asks Wadsworth, who are you, Perry Mason? (laughs) Was Perry Mason a thing? Like even then? No. No, I don't think so. Perry Mason didn't premiere until September 21st, 1957. That's so great. This is why I love this movie, because they weren't afraid to like play the game in a different time frame. Right. Well, and and that's just it. You know, it's a game being played in the 80s. So everybody Mm -hmm. in the 80s knew who Perry Mason was. But they shouldn't have known who Perry Mason was. Yep. Because if you make a joke while you're playing a game, because the clue game is set back in that timeline. If you Mm -hmm. read it, if you look at it. So, like, if you're playing the game, you'll make jokes with the other players that are relative to your time. And that's why this movie is just so delightful, because it continues to be a game that's played. And that's why it doesn't really matter what was true or what was not. Everything we spent, you know, the last, like, 20 minutes talking about. Doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't really matter. (laughs) So the psychology break. Yeah. So Professor Plum psychoanalyzes Peacock's incessant talking and diagnoses her with pressure of speech. So I'm like, (laughs) is this a thing? Pressured speech is indeed a thing. (sighs) Speech at an accelerated or frantic pace that conveys urgency seemingly inappropriate to the situation, according to goodtherapy.org. That is true. Isn't that weird? But it's a thing. It's, it's I a, mean, it's a thing. It, in and of itself, is not a diagnosis. No, it's, it's accompanied, it's a symptom of different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it may be schizophrenia, mania. In this case, it was probably just. Nerves. Yeah. (laughs) Anxiety, which, you know, since they're all there because they're being blackmailed and they don't know who each other is and they are excited about the possibility of not having to pay a blackmailer anymore. Yeah. So she's all kind of anxious and spun up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me tell you a story. Yeah. When I was pregnant with my first son. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it was sort of in that um, four-month range. So I had just gotten out of that first trimester. I first started really sort of feeling the weight a little bit more and started that whole, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I kind of have to go to the bathroom all the time. Like, ah, oh, you know? Yeah. And so I had to go to a psychologist 
because we were moving to Korea and you just were, we were going through some pretty normal checks and things like that. And so you just mm -hmm. had this like a range of doctors you had to go to. So anyway, I end up at this psychologist's office, right? And I have to go potty and there's like somebody in the bathroom and it's this tiny little place in New England and there's really like, it's uncomfortable. And I was really hungry and thirsty before that because that's what you do. And so I downed a bunch. And then I was like, I have to go potty so bad. And then the psychologist is like running late. And so now I'm like uncomfortable, have to pee. Ah. Uh -huh. So I get into the office and this couch that, that this doctor has is like, I don't know, 18 inches off the ground. Oh, okay? geez. And it's like super plushy. Okay. So I'm already uncomfortable in getting to that point where you're kind of having a little, you're sitting down more like a penguin does instead yep. of like a human. And so I kind of flop into this couch and it's all kinds of, but mind you, I feel this way, but I had like loose enough clothing on, you probably wouldn't realize I'm pregnant. Right. Yeah. You're early so, enough to feel it, but not late enough for it to be completely obvious. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I plopped down on this couch and the guy looks at me like, that's weird, you oh, know, geez. and him in his little notebook. Well, now, so he's asking me questions and I am running my mouth at like a hundred miles per hour <laughs> because, and I've mentioned that kind of that, well, I didn't get to use the restroom before, but I, it's okay. I'll, I can get through this and da, 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 da. And so I'm like running my mouth really quickly. Cause I'm like, you know, what? let's just get through this, get it over. Cause mama's got to pee. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> so at the end, he's like, well, I'd really like to make some further appointments and da 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 And I was like, well, what's going on? You know, what he, he was like, well, I don't know, but you're just, you're just not very okay. There's just something not right. And, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking bipolar. I'm thinking maybe <gasps> a little schizophrenia. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, and at this point I'm cracking up and I'm going, why? And he was like, well, you're just talking really fast and you look you look pretty anxious over there. You're kind of wiggly. At this time, my inner Southern diva comes out <laughs> and I peel myself out of this horrendously inappropriate couch. And I stand up and I look at him and I am like, I am four months pregnant in this tiny little place with this stupid little low couch that I can't even get on and off of. And I couldn't use your restroom because someone was in there and you have been taking your sweet time this whole time. You want to know why I'm anxious? You're annoying. I'm four months pregnant and you have a dumb couch and I have to pee. <laughs> I do not have schizophrenia. I do not have bipolar. You really need to check your license and go read your textbook. <laughs> And I storm out of this place. Jackie tells him he needs to check his license. Oh, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall. He is looking at me like, oh my gosh, she's lost her mind. And not only that, like we're in Boston, right? And so I typically would kind of cover my accent a little bit, except when I get angry or frustrated, my accent comes out full force. So this whole thing is coming out like, like little old grandma. <laughs> from Georgia and I it's just it's so bad that's ah. well and I bet that didn't help the uh bipolar thoughts he was having or schizophrenic thoughts he was having like okay. she's developed an accent and I know I know right I mean and I thought I covered hopefully my accent was in was enough like normal and he did have to ask all my demographics so he should have known that I was from Georgia but he never asked about pregnancy or anything so he had no idea that I was pregnant and you could kind of see it on his face after I started saying it like all the all the light bulbs are going off going Oh crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. You know, and well, I never heard from him again. Right. And uh, all was yeah. well. He didn't require any additional appointments no. before your so move. So just, you know, you have to be careful. If you've got a psychologist or a psychiatrist trying to diagnose you with something because you're talking fast, <laughs> I will come and help you. Yeah. I have been there. There, there we go. <laughs> And the only other thing that I had was that, yes, indeed, sexual misconduct, patient abuse, and unethical behaviors are all grounds for revocation of a physician's license. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So, I mean, Big there's no lots, no. Of other, lots of other things, but that, they were right about that, too. Yes, they were. 
All right, real life. Real what, life. What part of Clue is real life? Uh, well, I, f- I found I found some. Clue turned 70 years old, the game, oh, in 2019. It's such a good game. Mm-hmm. It was invented during the air raids of World War II by a man in the UK uh, named Anthony Pratt. He and his wife developed the game while they were in their shelters and they sold it to a game company called Waddington's. And in the UK, even still, I think it's called it's called uh, Cluedo. Cluedo. Cluedo, which is Clue, like what we're used to, and Ludo, which is a game that we don't typically play in the United States, but was very well known in Europe, specifically England. And Ludo is Latin for I play. Oh, yeah. It's a game. So, yeah. The original weapons in the game, a little more gruesome than they are now. Oh, really? An axe, a stick, which is, you know, no big deal. A small bomb, (laughs) a rope, a dagger, a revolver, a hypodermic needle, poison, and a fireplace poker. So they kind of whittled it down, made the game a little bit simpler, changed some of them until they came to the ones that we know today. They Disney-fied it. Yes, they Disney-fied it. They made Mm -hmm. it more suitable for children. Because really, this is a game for... It is. It's like murder light for kids. Yeah. Yeah. They're solving a murder. Right. So it's okay. You know, you get to be the good guy. Unless your character is the one who did it. Well, oh, that's true. (laughs) Sometimes you are a murderer in this game. (laughs) So Colonel Mustard's name was originally Colonel Yellow, but they changed it because yellow is military slang for cowardly. Coward. Yeah. And they didn't think that that was what they didn't want to go there. (laughs) There was a clue, the musical. Oh, It opened in Baltimore in 1995, and the nightly murder of Mr. Body had the audience members pick oversized cards from a deck, and they kind of improved their way through the show. Oh! But it was a musical, and it went on to be performed in more than 500 cities around the world. Well, that doesn't sound as bad as I thought it would be. like, it's like a campy sort of fun improv. It feels like a dinner theater kind of show, you know, where it's interactive and, you know. Right. And in 2016, Hasbro killed off Mrs. White. Everybody, nobody, nobody stays dead in this game except for Mrs. White. In 2016, she was replaced by Dr. Orchid. What? Yep. What? Why? Why? Why did they do that? Your guess is oh. as good as mine. I don't know. Oh. They changed it. They permanently retired her. Movies based on board games. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about. Yeah. Those. Geek and Sundry had a great article by Eric Ravenscraft. He said that Jumanji and Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle would have probably topped the list, except the board game came after the movie. Right. Yes, the board game came after. Right. Because that movie is great. The originals and the remake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All in one. Because Robin Williams, hello. Yeah, he's so funny. Yeah. But this recent cast, I'm telling you, they are a hoot. Yeah. I love them. Then, of course, there's Battleship, which... It didn't have anything to do with the board game. No, it was awful. They made this big deal about how it was based on the board game that you love. The game that you love. Because it's not really a board game. It's kind of a board game. It's kind of a board game, I guess. It's kind of. Based on the game you love, and it had absolutely nothing to do with it. No, except for the, you know, name. Mm-hmm. And ships. Right. That, that was it. Then there was a whole series of movies... Based on Ouija, 
which is, you know, where you talk to spirits. Yeah. Like slumber Ouija parties. Board? Yes, Ouija boards. There was a whole series of horror movies based on those. Oh. And they said, Whew. they don't even know that it's, a, is it fair to call Ouija a tabletop game? Is it a game? Are you really contacting the spirits? They, they agonize over this for far too long. Oh, really? It's a board game. It's, it it's is. a board game in that you play it when you're bored. Yeah, um, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a Dungeons and Dragons movie. It had a very tenuous connection to the game. Apparently it had a uh, pretty hammy acting. And uh, they said, but at least you can kind of have fun watching this one. Okay. High okay. praise. Indeed. Yeah, he's like, eh. it's connection to the game that people are used to playing is tenuous at best, but it's, <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> That's about the highest praise. And then, of oh. course, top of the heap is the movie that we're discussing today, Clue. Indeed. I can't think of any others. I was trying to think, is there anything they're leaving out that was based on a board game and I, there wasn't a monopoly movie right mm. was there, there was supposed to be but they canceled it oh there was supposed yeah. to be monopoly there was supposed to be risk but they, well they canned them all risk would be hard i mean as hard as clue it's Maybe. different every time but see clue is just campy and fun and risk is I mean, everybody, everybody takes risks so serious. My family, not me, but my, my family, <laughs> they played Risk for five days. It took five days. See, they also play Civilization. And they're in another game right now. And it takes them forever to play Civilization. And wow. um, it's so bad. I can't stand listening to it. But they have a delightful time playing Civilization. But, I mean... Basically, if you took every movie played on TNT and just smashed them all together, you've got risk and civilization dominating yeah. the world, terrorists fighting. It's just, you know, yeah, it's all of that. Any shoot 'em up movie is going to yeah, be pretty much a version I mean, of risk. Kind of. Peacock raves at dinner over a course of the meal. And she says, I love this recipe. And when later we learn it's monkey brains. How Indiana Jones. <laughs> How Indiana Jones indeed. Theoretically, it contains the brain of some species of monkey or ape. And it's often used in the context of entertainment to portray an exotic culture as exceptionally cruel or callous or strange. It may not contain monkey brains at all because it may be a, first of all, an urgent urban legend. There's no proof that it was really ever served routinely in any restaurant, but it also could be a mistranslation of the name of a mushroom. Oh, <gasps> Yeah. Really? <laughs> that it was, it's called the monkey head mushroom is the translated name of it. Uh, because it bears a very superficial resemblance to the fur of macaque monkeys. Hmm. And so somebody may have translated it as monkey brains when really it was the monkey head mushroom. And it's illegal in China to serve monkey brains at all. And it has a 10-year prison sentence, which in China, I'm sure, is not a great fun. Prison's no, never great. I a, imagine it's not less, less great in China. It's less great. And you should really not consume the brain or nervous tissues of other animals because it can cause diseases, encephalopathy, just uh, infection of the brain. Don't just don't don't eat it. It's probably don't eat brains. You know what? Probably nobody is gonna serve this to you. And if they did, it's probably just a mushroom. Or you could just stick to like monkey bread. <laughs> 
which is like delicious. Yeah, biscuits covered in cinnamon, sugar, and butter. So yummy. It's so good and all together. And (laughs) I don't think I would like to eat a monkey. No. That would be bad. I don't think that's a good thing. You know, I don't like the idea of it. But it is interesting how we as society just kind of draw a line. Cute? We don't eat that. Uh-huh. Not as cute, we'll eat that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yes. When the lights get turned on and off in Hill House, where this is all <laughs> taking place, it's this switch, like a comical <laughs> switch. It's called a knife switch, because I wanted to know what it was called. And, you know, it's just the hinge with the, that connects the circuit. You know, it's big giant the lever is called the knife what it makes the connection in is called the slot or the jaw so they really probably wouldn't have been in the house maybe maybe not depending on when the house was built but they're really only used to in science experiments now where you want to make it really super obvious like you're doing some kind of experiment for a crowd yeah <laughs> you yeah. know, like you're going to bring Frankenstein to life. Right, like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, so, you have the the big thing. They're yeah. really super dangerous. Yeah, it's not good. The sparks that it could fly, oh, it's just nuts. Yeah. The arcing and the exposed metal parts, you really hurt yourself very, very badly. And they, did, they fell out of fashion in the late 1920s because of how dangerous they are. So <laughs> if you see one in a house, that would... Like if you were going to buy a house and you saw one of those, you'd want to like raise the alarm. (laughs) Run and call the police because there's something wonky and hinky going on in a basement somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're into that kind of thing. Whatever, man. (laughs) There was a fourth ending to the movie. What? (laughs) They started filming it and abandoned it because I guess even while they were making it, it was too ridiculous. But in it, (laughs) according to, I have no idea. Anyway, I'll post a link to the, (laughs) to the article that has this, but I can't remember where the, I didn't write down where this article is from, but I'll post a link to it on our social media. Um, You can find us on Twitter at killer fun pod you can find us on facebook killer fun podcast exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment or you can send me an email killer at gmail.com and i'll shoot you this link that i didn't write down the reference for <laughs> but basically wadsworth poisons everybody oh, oh it's like, like a- he, he was the one who like killed all the people and then he poisoned everybody Oh my gosh, it's a it's like a Kool-Aid moment. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, everybody was drinking like fish in this, so. Yeah, yeah. Poison the brandy. Mm-hmm. Wow, how about that? Yeah, so those were the, the I, th- I thought a fair amount of real life stuff for one of the most ridiculous movies ever made, <laughs> but in the best way. In the best way. It is so good. It's this so is fun. This is the type of comedy I don't think we pull off well anymore. I feel like that generation is kind of past that we're just really good at that. Maybe it'll come around again, but well, yeah. Maybe. Maybe we can do it more smartly. So I think it was really easy to do that kind of comedy and have it be... Especially in hindsight, even without much hindsight, that you would see that kind of comedy and it tended towards racist and sexist and mm-hmm. um, and not in a not in such a campy way, but in a well, this is just how they talked in 1988, <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's difficult to kind of pull off some of that stuff, but. I hope it comes back around again because I enjoy a little bit of the slapstick ridiculous, not taking itself too seriously. Yep. It's really fun. It's a lot of fun. All right. So <sighs> next next time, we're going to talk about Catch Me If You Can. So good. Oh, my gosh. I love this movie based on a true story. But it's got Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio, a young Leonardo DiCaprio where he's so pretty. <laughs> 
And I cannot <laughs> yes. feel like a pedophile doing that because he was older than me when this was filmed. So it was fine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's right. Aww. So I can still, in retrospect, find him pretty. Yes, we can all, and it's so nostalgic, but it is That's such right. a good movie, it's, and it's so fun, and it, but it's also kind of like heart wrenching in some ways too, and so yeah, yeah, it's good. It'll, it'll have lots of stuff to talk about. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. We know that you've taken the time to listen to us, and that you made a choice because we don't just come on the radio. You make an active decision when you listen to us, and we so appreciate it. But you know what's more fun than just listening? listening with a friend. So tell Amen. A, yeah, tell a friend and you guys can talk about it. Give us a rate and review so that people who aren't your friends can find us. If you can't give us five stars, tell us why we want to know. And until next time, we thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bah, 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 da, 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 da.